Hi, folks. Hello. It's Not So Giant Women, Stephen Universe podcast. We are back, and it's Ivy and Daria, and we're going to get into it with some love letters today. Now, that's a title. Yeah, I know often on TV shows, there's a plot element that someone finds old love letters, so I don't know if that's what we're doing here, or maybe ah. someone's going to just write or read some love letters in the present. Oh, okay. Yeah, those are some possible predictions. It's not a particularly revealing title, so this one's a little murkier. <laughs> yeah, they're also strangely direct because we know what love letters are. Oh, sure. Yeah, but who might be writing them is the big yeah. quest. <laughs> and who might be reading them or who might be intended to read them because that's another thing when someone gets someone else's love letters and it's all a confusion. <laughs> Oh, the tropes, the tropes. <laughs> well, we're going to have to go see what's up. Here we go. <laughs> we are the Crystal Gems. We'll always save the day. And if you think we can... No, that was the mail I was supposed to deliver on my last route. We'll help you pick it all up. Thanks. Fun. fairly light non-cosmic stuff this week yeah and definitely not one of those things that would have been guessable ahead of time you know of course the letter's going to be between the mailman and garnet <laughs> when i had their letters i did remember jamie's existence but didn't expect him to be writing as well as delivering letters ah so shall we have our recap ah yes we opened with Stephen and Connie trying to take selfies on the beach and Jamie the mailman happens along and he's been off pursuing his dream of becoming an actor in Kansas <laughs> and he hacks with him all the mail he didn't deliver to Stephen while the time he was gone, which well, we later discover is loads and loads of sea pals, the off-brand version of sea monkeys. However, while the mail has been delivered... Garnet, Ursula Andrus is out of the ocean nearby and she's been looking for Jasper Lapis, has found nothing. But more importantly for this week, Jamie is struck by this vision, a woman who is framed by the sunlight and has water running down her beautiful form, which beautifully shakes off herself. And long story short, Jamie's pretty taken with Garnet. So much so that the next day he delivers a pretty pink envelope to Stephen and Connie, which is addressed to Garnet, and they take to her and heading her off for what looks like her latest trip under the ocean because she's going to wear scuba goggles over her shades. <laughs> and it's a love letter asking Garnet to a meal in all sorts of flowery language. Garnet's <laughs> not interested, not least because she doesn't fancy Jamie, but also because she's so much in a relationship that she is a relationship. They decide they should at least respond. Garnet initially just wants to write back and say no, which would do the trick. <laughs> and then only wants to expand it to no forever and ever until the end and even afterwards. Or words to that effect. <laughs> Seeing how emotionally wrapped up Jamie is, the kids think this might be a little harsh and decide to match his flowery tone in the reply. However, so flowery is the purple pose of their reply that Jamie takes for an acceptance rather than a declination. And he shows up below the beach house that night, singing out to his love Garnet in quasi-Shakespearean ways. And <laughs> Stephen realises how he's messed up and Garnet also appears and basically just completely shuts Jamie down, which breaks Jamie's heart and he runs off. Soon, Stephen and Connie are back on the beach and mail is brought by a completely different mail carrier because... Jamie's too heartbroken to deliver the mail. The mail carrier apparently knows Greg because she recognises who Stephen Universe is. Delivers him some coupons after telling Jamie's sad story. Mm. The kids realise they'd better go and talk to Jamie, bringing... No, Garnet should go and talk to Jamie. In fact, that's right. He's being morose on the beach, throwing letters oh. into the ocean <laughs> and... Garnet lets him down pretty flatly, but certainly gets the point across. She says, you play the great lovesick fool. You can't have fallen in love with me after, well, no time at all. Love at first sight isn't a thing. Love takes time. Love takes work. But you've, 
made such a good job. You've convinced these children yourself that you're a lovesick fool. So maybe you're a great actor and you should try local community theatre. And she pats him on the back or probably does spinal damage and leaves. <laughs> this at least breaks Jamie out of his funk and he is disappointed but no longer completely shattered. The kids ask if those letters he's been tossing away are other love letters for Garnet, and he says no, these were the mail he was supposed to deliver yesterday, and they just kind of stare at it and say, we'll help you pick those up, and we're done. Yeah, I don't want you to be a federal criminal on top of all this. Okay. <laughs> so it does seem the mail service in Beach City is <laughs> a bit lackluster if Jamie just takes off for months and just I mean. no one gives Stephen the mail at all. I mean, like, really, that there's a big sack of mail that nobody knows where Stephen lives. And they're just like, huh, well, I guess we'll just put it in this corner. Nobody knows where this person lives, but he keeps getting CPAL mail. Yeah, I mean, I guess the other mail deliverer worked it out, but yeah. It's kind of hilarious. So that does seem to be one of the few municipal services properly operating or operating at all in Beach City. Yeah, we've seen a mayor and we've seen a post office guy and we haven't seen any police. We haven't seen any, well, we heard in the Onion episode when Onion set a bunch of stuff on fire, we heard some sirens. So there's probably some emergency, but we never saw them. <laughs> and other than that, I think it's like, I don't even know if they have school. Yeah, because Connie goes to school, but she lives in the next town. Yeah. So what the heck? <laughs> Yeah, even Mayor Dewey's entire job seems to be to be mayor as opposed to actually do anything most of the time. Right. Commemorating benches and yelling at people through a megaphone and trying to get re- get elected <laughs> to do nothing again. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, <gasps> we got a small treatise on the nature of love at first sight. Jamie believes or believed in it and Garnet does not. Yeah, this is this is not a very popular episode, I guess, because people don't like that trope of Connie rewriting the letter and then him thinking that she returns his love and he doesn't. And then you have to watch all this cringiness where he gets rejected. But, you know, I honestly really like this episode, not just because of the really great things that Garnet says, you know, and I will talk about those too, but largely just because there's a subtle difference between the way they set this up and the way I've seen a similar trope Mm. in like Mm. other cartoons that no one, no one ever explicitly blames Garnet for it. No Mm. one says it's your responsibility to deal with this guy's feelings for you. Yeah. And there's no actual deception going. Right. Yeah. Nobody like said, no, let's rewrite it so that she does like him. Let's make sure, let's trick them into going out to eat together and they'll like each other. Yeah. And in fact, that's the only real, that's the only real step where something actually goes wrong in that either Connie writes the letter poorly or he interprets it wrong, depending on your point of view, bit of both, not mutually incompatible. Yeah. And it does, Partly because it's an 11-minute show, it doesn't drag on too long. No one's intercepting mail. If this show had another couple of acts, you could imagine something like Stephen and Connie intercepting the letters before Garnet gets to them and writing back as Garnet. Right. Whereas the most they did was try to spice up the language without changing the message. They just spiced it up so hard they did change the message. Jamie saw what he wanted to see. That too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that they didn't go into that, that they didn't try to get them together despite that. Because, I mean, Stephen has been guilty of that sort of thing before, where he really ships Lars and Sadie. You know, he, he yeah. wants them to be together. And well, he thinks they are together is part of the problem. Yeah, he thinks they're married. <laughs> yeah, that's true. At least in this case, like, he certainly was not invested in that idea. And the way that he kind of put it, this is another tangent I want to go off on, is he says immediately when he receives this letter, finishes reading it, and he's like, well, that's not happening. Like, he just, he automatically knows what Garnet's answer is going to be. And she agrees and says, nope. Yeah, he and, doesn't even spend a naive couple of seconds going, oh, you'd be so cute together. He just... Right. <laughs> he also but, shoots you know, him down in absentia. <laughs> Yeah. 
But like the way that, you know, when Connie questions about it and he says, well, Garnet is already in a relationship. She is a relationship. And I appreciated that he kind of made that very explicit because some people just still didn't believe what they were seeing when you got introduced to Ruby and Sapphire and the nature of their relationship. Didn't they listen to the song? I mean, seriously, they really should listen to the song. But the the fact that he kind of defaulted to, well, she's already she already has this like this romantic situation. And even though it's a little different because she's not the people in love, she's the result of their love. She's like the embodiment of their relationship. So it is a little different. I like to think that somebody who was a fusion could still have relationships if they decided to, but she clearly is not into that because she said, you know, at least for her, three's a crowd. So yeah. And also other fusions aren't necessarily even other permafusions if they're around, aren't necessarily together for the same reasons Ruby and Sapphire are. Right. Well, we definitely just saw a really awful long-term fusion with her, and that's like a torture fusion. Yeah, I hadn't thought of them as a permafusion, but I guess for the moment at least they kind of are. Yeah, so they're, I guess, the only real example we're seeing so far. But the thing that, I mean, Stephen is a naive kid and he's romantic and everything. And he just feels like, Oh, well they already have their thing. I see a kitty back there, (laughs) but I appreciated that the interaction between like all of Garnet's responses and everything she said to Jamie was not, well, I'm, this can't happen because I'm in a relationship because that's not even her reason. Like her reason is I'm not interested and it doesn't matter why. And I prefer that to, well, I can't because I'm already taken kind of thing. You know what I mean? Because that shouldn't be the only thing that stops somebody from being in a relationship, especially if you happen to be a poly person or something like that. Well, yeah, I thought that a bit when she said the three's a crowd thing, but I was comfortable to read it as this is my relationship that is sufficient for me slash us. And yes. It is, well, a fairly fairly unique situation that right. the relationship is actually merged into a person. <laughs> so right. translating further does start to stretch it a bit. Right. Because, I mean, I do like to see, I like to see Garnet as individual is the wrong word, obviously, but she is her own person and she is something other than two people smushed together, she's something else. So uh, obviously she would have, she might have opinions and thoughts that neither of her components do. I mean, if you look at Sugalite, that certainly was a fusion who thought very differently from her components. Very true. But, you know, she has expressed that she's not interested in other relationships. She's complete how she is. Yeah, that was the Um, word I was going to use, complete. Yeah, and she she uses that perfectly reasonable, if slightly harsh thing of she's not into... Jamie to let him down rather than try to befuddle him with talk of fusions and things. Yeah, she doesn't bother to explain anything to him. But he didn't, I think maybe that would be, if I was her, I would be offended, honestly, at the idea that somebody who thinks that he's in love with me just from looking at me, you know, I mean, that's a situation that's been close enough to reality a few times in my real life to be like, yeah, you thinking that you could be in love with me is already so much evidence that I could never be in love with you. (laughs) But that she clearly, if she knows as much as she does about love, that, you know, that would tell her that she doesn't have any interest in kind of bringing this person into understanding her because he purported to understand her well enough to love her at the outset. And that's offensive. (laughs) You know? Yeah, he can certainly be ultimately fairly superficially attracted to her. Sure. And some people can work from there, but oh, sure. and there's a little bit of a because this is a cartoon and because this is 11 minutes on going, 11 minutes, 11 minutes long going on. Mm-hmm. Can't discount either of those. Yes. And also Garnet. Garnet is not an arbiter of all romantic laws of the universe. So just because right. she says love at first sight is impossible doesn't doesn't mean no such thing can ever happen to anyone ever. Sure. Yeah, I largely agree with her on this, but I can imagine people reading what she said as a condemnation of the very idea in itself in all real or fictional forms, and I don't think it is that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's definitely been, I mean, even though I'm not a person who engages in romantic relationships, it's like there have been times where I had very quick connection with someone and couldn't really explain how is it 
that I felt like I knew a person before I really knew them. And then it turned, it turned real when I did get to know them and I care about them very much afterwards. But, you know, and you can trace it back and say like, there was something right at the beginning where we really just clicked. That's, you know, it wasn't love at that moment, but you could kind of call it that. You could kind of make it seem like we always knew and it's very romantic, but it's, you know, by her definition, at least by Garnet's definition, it certainly wouldn't be what she considers love. No, I mean, all he knows at that point really is what she looks like and what she sounds like. Uh, speaking mm-hmm. of what she sounds like, she almost entirely drops the usual Garnet poshness when she said, that I didn't write that thing. <laughs> I didn't write that. <laughs> yeah. It was a very tense moment. And then that, <laughs> that just comes out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I've seen videos of Estelle talking as Estelle and while she still sounds like Garnet because she's the same person, the actor and the character still speak very differently yes. or differently enough that you can tell. And that was far closer to an Estelle than a Garnet. Yeah, yeah. And it worked for it. Oh, I think so. Or even if that wasn't what anybody had in mind for that line, if she said it, there's no way they wouldn't use that take. <laughs> <laughs> So, but yeah, I really like that nobody kind of pressured Garnet to give him a chance. Nobody said, you guys should go to lunch together and just see what happens. Nobody treated her like she was close-minded to not consider it, make her the unreasonable one, you know? Yeah, and she didn't, I mean, she wouldn't, but other characters might have sort of tried to let him down so gently that she accidentally lets him in. She didn't sort Mm -hmm. of go, oh, I don't fancy him, but I'll go on a date not to hurt him. Right. In fact, one of the things you can definitely say for how Garnet handles the prospect of dating or whatever else this episode is, she makes her responses very clear. Yeah. Probably more clear than a lot of real life people do. Yeah. There definitely would have no question of what she meant if her original letter had gone to Jamie. There's something to be said for just yes or no, or I don't fancy you, which can be hurtful, but leaves no room for reinterpretation. Right. And I mean, there are people out there who would try to argue and be like, why not? Or what's wrong with me? And what what could I change or do? Or how about if we make a bet where, you know, if we do this, then you have to go out with me or whatever. Like there's so many of those things in real life and especially in fiction, which unfortunately so often put the female or femish character as the one who is unreasonable for not giving the presumably male character a chance and that he's pure of heart and he's smitten and voting for him. You want him to like be happy and get the girl. And I usually don't. I feel like, why don't you just listen to her? She said no. (laughs) And so I really appreciate that in this case, nothing about the episode, even though they did kind of point out that she was being harsh, nothing about the episode made it seem like she shouldn't have done that or that she owed him any more attention than she gave him. And Jamie, well, granted, haven't seen further, but it doesn't look like Jamie's theme from now on is going to be perpetually trying to work on it. He's not going to turn yeah, it to that's... Silver Age Lois Lane. Yeah, kind of wouldn't be that fun to watch that happen because it was kind of painful to watch some of that this time. Like the first time I saw this and he's walking up with a love letter to Garnet, I'm just cringing thinking, oh God, this is going to be horrible. I don't want to watch somebody have a crush on her (laughs) because it's just, it's going to end in tears and it's not going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, we can't always control how we feel about someone. We can control what we do about that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, up to this point, this is really the only time we've kind of almost got sort of some of the angles on that first walk out of the ocean were sort of male gazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was sort of like, let's put her in this sort of sexy walk and she's dripping wet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which I think they got away with this time because it's never happened before and it's kind of deliberately right. ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. And also that she's wearing the entire same outfit she always wears. Oh, sure. Yeah. She always looks like that, except that she's also wet. And then they zoom in on her face when she's like, I'm a real swear. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just all shiny and stuff. And then she does her little, her thing where she says, excuse me. And just like all the stuff flies off of her. I guess that's actually the same thing that she did in the episode Future Vision when she was covered in coffee and all the liquid just flies off of her. Yeah, one of the rarely mentioned gem powers is (laughs) self-cleaning. I wonder, because she has like this electric current she can do. I wonder if she just like- Repels. Electrified it or something. 
That's cool. Maybe she like messes around with electromagnetism and does a whole positive negative repel thing. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure what she was doing with that that water bear looking thing. I assumed, and granted they didn't say anything, I just kind of thought she just happened to run across a corrupted gem creature while she was down looking for Lapis and or Jasper mm-hmm. and just went, oh, well, better handle it. Now I'm here and dragged mm-hmm. it back up, punched it in the gem. We didn't see her bubble it, but... No, that was the weird thing is that she had this thing and she punched it and it looked like the gem in it went like further into its body because you could see through it. Mm-hmm. And then she like threw it back in the ocean or away or something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? What were you doing, though? <laughs> I just don't even know what Garnet was doing. Yeah, that- <laughs> Maybe she just didn't feel like dealing with it. I don't know. So strange. Super weird. Yeah. Maybe she just thought she'd better find out what the children are doing and she can deal with the unconscious jellyfish tardigrade thing later. Yeah. Although if it actually was a tardigrade, then it would have been probably a lot safer inside of that than in the gem temple. Because <laughs> those things are pretty hardy. Yeah. Well, it was kind of jellyfish body, but tardigrade yeah. shape. So who yeah. knows Who knows what happens to a corrupted gem down there? Yeah. As long as they don't run into any hate fusions, be all right. It's weird. I got to say, I have gotten a lot of use out of my animated image of that I have of Garnet saying, I am not, nor will I ever be interested. Go away. <laughs> it's a great phrase. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So... That is uh, that is something that I definitely appreciate, even though her whole reasoning is different than mine. I, I like that she's just like, this is completely never going to be a thing, and I'm not going to spend my time like explaining any of this to anyone. I just, I said no, and that's it. But it's interesting that she went to talk to him afterwards, and she didn't like coddle him or anything. She just kept responding to everything he said, like, oh, I bloom for you like a chameleon in the moon. No, you don't. <laughs> Also, that she went to talk to him at all, that she didn't sort of go, I've done my bit. I to- told him, no, that's right. That's my duty served. Mm-hmm. So she at least cares enough to not want him to be completely shattered. Right. And or she saw that Stephen looked sad and she wanted to, yeah. to help. Or, yeah. yeah, she could have read it as much as improving Stephen's situation. Mm-hmm. Again, both work. You, you yeah, don't have to did. be gi- giving someone an in not to sure. play again. Yeah, you don't have to be giving someone an in to not want them to see them completely horribly miserable. Yeah, of course. Just basic niceness, I guess. And I mean, she's she's saying stuff like, I didn't mean to upset you, which is the closest that she comes to saying anything in this conversation that accepts any, any blame or anything. She doesn't say she's sorry because she has nothing to apologize for. But mm-hmm. I like that she did give him some perspective, kind of like she said the thing about that love at first sight doesn't exist and that at the very least you have to know the other person and pointed out that he doesn't know her. He has no idea. So Yeah, even though he's not actually, as far as we can tell, a teenager, he's still sort of pretty young early on the emotional development scale. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen some people like, this is, I guess, discourse again, but I've seen some people get mad about her saying that about that love at first sight doesn't exist because we fairly recently had an episode with Greg and Rose Mm -hmm. where they kind of had this connection right from the beginning. And Greg is like, he had one conversation with her and he wants to turn his van around and miss his concert and go back and be with her and stuff. And people were saying, well, how could it be that they would accept that as sort of a love at first sight situation if Garnet's going to turn around and say it doesn't exist? But, you know, I have a lot to say about why that wasn't love at first sight either. <laughs> also, going back to what I said, it's, it's not it's not wrong if Garnet doesn't believe in it and Greg and Rose do. That's right, yeah. I or think that it happened to them. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a metafictional thing to take anything a character says as law for their universe and ours. Right, right. Whereas, Nobody would ever say anything if it wasn't a total like rule and a prohibition of anything that would contradict this ever happening in the show. <laughs> yeah, I've listened to a commentary on one of the Red versus Blue seasons in which the writer says it's very hard to write characters who are lying because viewers tend to take any new information they're given by a character as fact. Yes, Yeah, I mean, especially if it's someone like Garnet, who is the voice of reason in almost every situation, and she's 
what passes for a love expert. Yeah, but you know, even even though she's however many many years old, and you know, is an embodiment of relationship, doesn't mean she literally gets to decide or knows mm-hmm. everything about everyone. So right. whether or not I find it's less whether or not love at first sight exists, but whether or not different characters believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately it doesn't matter if we could argue all day about whether it physically can happen or whether what we would call love, whether it's really love with these big air quotes on top of it. You know, it's like we could argue about those things all day, but ultimately for the purpose of this, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Garnet is saying it doesn't exist and that's what she believes. And also when you're comparing to Rose, you're comparing to someone who at that point at least was coming from a default position of loves everything and everyone all the time, anywhere, ever, which is a very different starting point to where Jamie and Garnet are. Yeah. And I think with Rose and Greg, like, first of all, I mean, Greg, we established in the same episode that he kind of has a type that Marty's just like, oh, how big was she? Like, he has a thing for large ladies. And there's this eight foot tall woman with with her giant pink hair, you know, that he was immediately attracted to her. She's exactly what he is historically liked. And then she also was at his concert and was excited about his music. And I mean, that's all you need as a rock star to be like, okay, she's attractive and she's into my passion. Like I'm immediately smitten. I want to know more about this woman. And then, you know, he goes to her house and people are appearing out of light and shape-shifting and all this stuff. And he's like, something's going on. I got to know. He's going to be fascinated in both senses of the word by that point. Yeah. Whereas like Rose is just like you said, she's, she was really taken with his music and just, oh, he was playing a concert on the beach and I couldn't help myself. I just love all this, you know, and she was amused by his gimmick being space, (laughs) that this human is singing about wanting to be among the stars and that she probably finds it really interesting. And he came to her house to give her a shirt that would fit her. And, well, you know, that's not nothing. It doesn't mean they just looked at each other and now we're gaga for each other for the rest of our lives. It's just, it's, there was, there was something there and she was kind to him and he was kind to her. And that's how stuff starts. Plus nobody called it love in that episode except Stephen. And also it's very easy to retroactively put back love at first sight when you know they stayed together for I assume years afterward. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a good point. Cause I've known people, like I knew somebody in college who was telling me that he's like, I'm going to ask this girl to marry me. And I've known since the day I met her that she was the one and blah, blah. And I'm just like, didn't she just break up with you like two months ago though? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I know, but I know we're going to be together. And you know, they're not together. She's married to someone else, you know, just this whole thing. And, but this dude in the back of my car, slightly drunk is telling me all this stuff about how he always knew this woman was the one for him. And I'm like, you're so sure, but you were wrong. So the times that you were so sure and you were right, everybody's just like, see, they were sure, but people are wrong about that all the time too. Yeah. Many of us have sad occasions of not getting, not getting the hint from reality. Right. But back to Greg and Rose, if that had not lasted, if that had fizzled out, then that would be, they. if either looked back at, or in fact, Rose might still be around to look back at it because she might not have had a baby with him and given up her physical form, <laughs> it, it would be more seen as a brief, fun infatuation of, hey, remember when I chased that really tall girl back to a, back onto the beach past the talking owl? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, that was a wild night, wasn't it? And I thought I was going to marry her. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if you think you're going to marry everyone you meet, you have a chance you might be right at least once. Sure. And Rose's response back then, she was just like, oh, you're really cute and I want to play with you. <laughs> like that was her version of feeling positively toward, toward Greg. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I see no contradiction between those two stories. No, not, nor do I. And I don't think that Garnet would say like, yeah, those those two thought they had love at first sight or something like she's probably very like happy for for what happened with them she probably was totally on board well what we saw in that episode she was ready to throw greg over the fence until she found out that rose was into him (laughs) so you know i could see her supporting it pretty readily (sighs) 
we skip some bit where she's like, I'm sorry, I just get so emotional at weddings. <laughs> Deadpan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of which, I really liked when she walked over to Jamie and she just like sat down next to him and she's just like so huge next to him. Yeah. <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> and he's this tiny little guy and she's this huge. Well, when she pats him on the back and you half expect the soundtrack to put this crunch over his spine. Yeah. yeah. Very imposing. I wonder what he was thinking when she sat down right next to him. <laughs> like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Everything and nothing is what he would have thought. Yeah. He did a weird, like almost Looney Tunes-esque like reaction to her while he was running away after he gave the letter to Steven and he's running away. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> really weird. It's very strange. Mm. So so Steven ordered a bunch of sea pals. Did you ever have sea monkeys? I didn't have them, but I always saw the adverts in comic books, and I bet that's where Stephen <laughs> saw them too. Yeah, I never had it either, but that's so Stephen, isn't it? To be like, I'm going to order these guys, and then I'm going to set them free into the sea. Yeah, and it seemed he was just going to literally throw the boxes into the ocean. <laughs> I guess he had multiple chances to do that too. Yeah, Whole this, stack. If this show did post-credits, you could just show Garnet on her next undersea mission with this box just sinking down next to her, looking a bit befuddled. <laughs> They'll end up somewhere in Amethyst's room. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't see this week with another another case oh. of them not cluttering up the episode of characters it doesn't need. That's true. That's right. This is only Garnet and Jamie and Stephen and Connie and a new male person. So, yeah, mostly just focusing on... Actually, when I saw that this episode was called Love Letters and then the opening shot was Stephen and Connie trying to get a selfie, I was kind of hoping there would be some kind of cutesiness with the two of them, but it wasn't about their relationship. (laughs) That was really relatable, though, the attempting to get a good selfie. I like that. Well, and they could have turned the phone around so they could see themselves. Yeah, it seemed like a strange thing that like they had a front facing camera, they could have they could have done that. There were a couple of weird things like that in this episode. Like like after they had Garnet's letter and they were going to deliver it to Jamie, they had they were acting like they had to go find him and go give it to him, but then after they revised it, they just stuck it in Steven's own mailbox. Like how would he get it that way? I mean, it says Jamie the mailman on it, but you're not supposed to stick it in your mailbox for the mailman, right? That's weird. <laughs> Well, it's very strange. It used to be, I don't know where and when this this doesn't happen. It used to be you could send mail by leaving it in your mailbox for the mail carrier to pick up. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that still works in Beach City or in the Steven Universe world. I can still send mail to other people, but I don't think it works to just write the mailman's name on the envelope. And then no stay up or anything. It's just, I guess that could work, especially in a small town where yeah. everybody like knows each other. If you're the mailman and you pull out a letter and it has your name on it, you're like, oh, the person's writing it to me. Especially if they think there's only one mailman in town at that point. <laughs> right. But he thinks Garnet did this. <laughs> he thinks Garnet put it in the mailbox. For- well, she didn't because she didn't write that. <laughs> really funny. <laughs> Because Ooh. she's on TV, Connie writes huge in all capitals. Yeah. So she does understand that would make it look like Garnet was shouting at him. <laughs> Boy, it'd be interesting to hear Garnet say that speech about my, but, but my, what was it? Uh, it's more of a dry, scorching desert heat. <laughs> wow. So Connie watches soap operas, huh? <laughs> Yeah, of all her literary acumen, she chose to go there. Yeah, well, we know she likes that one about the hospital. Yeah, under the knife. Yeah, but her mom won't let her watch that anymore. So I guess she probably watches other dramas, and that's where she got her poetic speech. She's totally got a thing for telenovelas. (laughs) There you go. I was wondering about, like, when they had that scene at the beginning right after... Stephen brought Jamie's letter to Garnet. Connie had clearly been told the whole story about that Garnet was a fusion. And I'm sure that he, I'm sure that Stephen told her all of that during the full disclosure episode. But I did have a thought about whether, whether Garnet would not approve of that. Like she didn't say anything, but you know, she went to some pretty great lengths to not tell Stephen for a while. So I wonder how she felt about having someone else be told about her, you know, without her being there, you know, I wonder about that. 
Yeah. I mean, it could be that when she trusted, well, she didn't actually tell Stephen explicitly given the circumstances. Right. She was outed. Yeah. But I mean, if she'd been really determined to hide it, she could have just not recombined anywhere, refused anywhere near him. Right. She could have chosen, well, Ruby and Sapphire could have chosen something else. Yes. They could have gone out of the room, come back in as Garnet, and she just goes, oh, Ruby and Sapphire went down there. Yeah. And it could be that part of trusting Stephen to know is, I trust your judgment in when to reveal or not to reveal this information to others. Right. It may have just been that she cared what Stephen thought of it and didn't really care about what other people thought about it. That she mostly just was concerned about whether he would feel like weirded out that she never disclosed something Mm. that important to him, but she doesn't really care that much about what Connie thinks. That said, you know, Connie's been part of a fusion with Steven. So if anybody's going to know about it, she probably would be fine to know it. And what you say also works because Garnet is one of Steven's guardians. She's not one of Connie's guardians. So the impact on her is significantly less, even though she is close to Garnet. Right. As far as we know, this was a secret from Stephen, but it wasn't a secret from anybody else. And, you know, I doubt that she ever would take him aside and be like, okay, don't tell people. Because, like, nobody's really going to know what a fusion is. But Connie does. Yeah. And I would also think that if there was one other local human you could trust with this, it would be Connie. Sure. Do you think Greg knows? Uh, Hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those... It's been Stephen's age plus however many years that he has plenty of time to find out. And of course, he was very close to Rose. Mm-hmm. And it seems a safe guess that Rose knew. Right, since Pearl and Amethyst knew. Yeah. So balance of probabilities would be that Greg knows, but we can't say for sure until right. he comes in and says, hello, Garnet Fusion of Ruby and Sapphire. Right. He has not, as far as we know, hasn't been told anything about Stephen's experiments with fusion either. Like he is uh, like, oh, he did run into the light that one time when she attacked the beach and stuff. So he probably knows that they can do that. Yeah, he knows. I think from that, I would imagine he knows the basics of fusion existing. But of yeah. course, it is a jump from there to one of these four is herself a fusion. Right. That he, just like us at the beginning of the show, he didn't necessarily know what the rules are or that it means anything significant that she has a gem in each palm. Yeah. And especially because as we've reflected on many times, the fusion in question is not someone who's prone to shooting her mouth off or dispensing information unnecessarily. So True. Very tight-lipped on everything. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, makes her sort of less approachable. If you wanted to ask questions and you wanted to learn something about gem stuff, you would ask Pearl. (laughs) Well, she loves to explain stuff, which probably suits Garnet fine. She doesn't have to. Right. Whereas Amethyst seems to, you know, you could ask her stuff, but she's probably, she doesn't act like she's in the authority on anything. So. Mm. Given some of her reactions, she might just assume everyone already knows what fusion is anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe. I'm mostly remembering when she interrupted Pearl's big reveal about how all of the gem creatures they've been fighting are gem people that have been corrupted somehow. And she just blows through it like, you know. They used to be just like us, right, Pearl? (laughs) Yeah. Was that the prober about Greg's knowledge or we got another one? Oh, you want a probing question, do you? (laughs) Well, let's do that. I have loads more probing questions to ask. So since this was kind of a Garnet episode, I want to ask a Garnet question. So she claims she has given out some love advice in this episode, but we don't, as viewers, know very much about her relationship at all. So like, if you could decide next time we had an episode where we get to hear anything about them, what would you want them to make an episode about regarding her components? What do you want to know? Well, how they met is the easy answer, I suppose. Mm. Oh, yeah. That is a big question. And, I mean, I know it's a question that often isn't answered or answerable in in human couples in real life, so this only goes so far, but what we saw when they were separate, we kind of saw the hot-headed or the angry one and the mm-hmm. sheepish or the calm one. Mm-hmm. 
which can make for quite a difference in couples. Again, I say this, ha- this happens in real life anyway, so it's just like the explaining. But I mm-hmm. would like to see how they actually get along as two gems when they're yeah. separate. And yeah. maybe what about how they worked together when they were separate but together led them to the best way for us to be continually together is as one being, not as two beings together. Yeah, because it does seem like gems could fall in love and still not live as a fusion. Yeah, so. I, mean, I can't imagine every gem couple or three people or however they all doing things on gem world just fuse at, at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Right, because that is a whole different thing. I guess it's still a love relationship, but it also makes a new person. So, yeah, I mean, do, is it a this is the next step thing? Is it a... Any difficulties we have as two people would be solved if we were one? Is one another challenge they want to face together? Mm. Do they just want to feel each other's feelings so hard Mm -hmm. that they want to do it directly rather than (laughs) through the usual senses? Sure. That's a lot of questions about the whys and wherefores and the hows, like see it in action, because we spent so little time with them on the ship and they acted like they just couldn't get back together fast enough, you know? Mm. So, I mean, in the time ensuing between when we find out that they live as Garnet and, you know, the show going on hiatus and everything, like people are starting to say, wow, we know all this cool stuff about, you know, now Garnet is a fusion. And then people start to ask those questions like, well, I don't want her to have to unfuse, but I want to know more about Ruby and Sapphire. And like, how are you going to do that? <laughs> like, is there some reason they have to be fused? Right. Like they can only physically stay apart for so long before it becomes dangerous. Mm, there's a theory. <laughs> okay. So there are a number of things you would like to see from a Ruby and Sapphire focused plot. Yeah, because even though it's a slightly loaded term to use, we have seen enough to think that permafusions aren't the natural state of a fusion, not the default state is probably a more neutral way to put it. Most fusions, in fact, all the other fusions we've seen so far, except for one definite outlier, mm. have been created with the understanding that they'll unfuse soon enough. I mean, even Sugalite was stayed, stayed fused because she wanted to and was throwing a tantrum, but Mm-hmm. I don't think there was talk of her permanently staying that way, and certainly Amethyst and Garnet didn't intend that when they refused to become her. No, definitely not. She just she got it seemed like she got really fixated on her feelings, and that she said stuff like that she forgot how great it was to be her, and how she's not going to unfuse. She's going to stay. She's not going to listen to the request that they un, that they separate and relax. Or but you definitely didn't get the idea that. Amethyst and Garnet were doing that because they wanted to stay together and be Sugalite all the time. They did it for a purpose to knock the hell out of the communication hub. <laughs> yeah. And even Sugalite's saying that she's going to stay Sugalite means that even she is aware that the normal situation would be not to stay Sugalite. Yeah. It's very interesting because like if you are a fusion that only lives out of necessity, like Opal, and like it's very interesting that you would have to know that and know that you're temporary. And that goes to one of the ones they haven't nailed down and maybe better if they never do as to what degree fusions are fusions or entirely separate beings. I mean, the outlier being, and I'm blanking on her name, which is embarrassing, but our hate fusion at the bottom of the ocean. They've never said it in the show, so it's not... Oh, no wonder I'm blanking. No, it's in the credits. It's only in the credits, and you noticed it, but, like, the the characters don't know it yet. (laughs) I was smart enough to notice it, not smart enough to remember it. It's Malachite. Malachite. There we go. I I think I'm going to start blobbing together ite names, given everyone's named after some kind of stone. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, obviously there's such an extreme situation with them in that, well, the, mm-hmm. per, the possibly permafusion, but more the desperate situation of fusion mm-hmm. is more created as a prison than as a being per se in this case. Right. It is not about communion or communication or closeness. Yeah, so it's probably best not to take too much from Malachite as to how fusions generally work. 
Yeah, it was an interesting sort of tidbit that Rebecca Sugar shared regarding stuff about fusion, saying that, you know, it's a pretty unique idea, you know, as a relationship having its own life, but that those relationships represent what those characters share. So if there's part of themselves that they wouldn't share with that person, it's not part of their fusion either. Like if that comes from anything from like how they feel or how what they've experienced, if they wouldn't tell their fusion partner something, their fusion wouldn't know it either. It's really interesting because you would think if they're kind of blended together that they would be sort of sharing a mind, but that's not quite what it is. Yeah, it seems, and I'm mostly going from our small exposure to Stevoni here, it seems that the mind is merged while, well, while they emerge, but they don't, Mm -hmm. they don't keep anything that's not theirs after they separate, Mm -hmm. or at least not that we've seen. Yeah. It's not like if they're fused, then they're also going to be able to, Stephen's going to have Connie's childhood memories or something. Mm. Yeah. I think that Stevoni would have both Stephen and Connie's childhood memories. Yeah, if they thought about them, yeah. sure. But yeah, I, for the most part, and again, we've seen all fusions are not created equal, so there could be exceptions to this. For yeah. the most part, it seems everything disentangles once it's on fusion. Where I don't think, well, I say we don't think, I, we haven't seen any kind of fusion where the unfusing doesn't work properly and someone's left with either physical or psychological bits of the other person. Right, right. That's good. That's a good point. We even see like in Jailbreak that Ruby is saying stuff like she's complaining that she can't use future vision. She's like, I can't see. (laughs) And she's like so used to it that she's kind of expecting it. She is used to being Mm. Garnet, but then she's just like, nope, I'm Ruby. (laughs) Can't do that. Yeah. And Sapphire can't see because of a huge fringe. (laughs) you know i've been there mine gets real long sometimes (laughs) oh i don't know but if i cut it too short then i don't like to i don't like it to be above my eyebrows my eyebrows are weird yeah i know where you're coming from fringes are weird (laughs) they are but i've always had one (laughs) since i was a little bitty baby i never grew mine out (laughs) i've always had a lot of hair i was born with a lot of hair I dimly remember rules at one of my schools about how long fringes could be, but I can't remember what the rules were. Probably out of the kids' eyes would have been something like that. Well, if you lived through, you know, the early 90s, I think it was, it was good to have really long hair, you know, in the front to have the bangs that you spray up to look like a flower on top of your head. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember that style? Oh, my God. (laughs) Mine wouldn't do it. My hair doesn't do anything. (laughs) It's just heavy and limp. (laughs) It doesn't do any, it doesn't take anything. So if I ever have to do cosplay or anything, it's all wigs. Yeah, no, that's like. <laughs> Actually, the last my time I did reveal my like real hair was cosplay, so go figure, I have it backwards. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Why? How did we get on hair? I'm trying. Oh, yeah, you said sapphire. sapphire has the giant fringe, as you said. I've thought about wanting to try a, a sapphire costume and just use my real hair. <laughs> And just grow my hair in the front until it's over my eyes. Because that would be fun to be a short character. (laughs) I'm very short. I'm a not-so-giant woman. (laughs) But I'm not blue. I'm not blue. (laughs) I see you do some good body painting. Uh, uh, I tried with the amethyst costume and that came out okay. Well, the photos turned out good. I've got one of them in my e-photo frame even. Well, thank you. (laughs) I was a grape. And if I was sapphire, I'd have to be a smurf. (laughs) <laughs> like keep coming off whenever you touched anything or is it the kind that sets? No, it sets pretty well, but I felt like it didn't ever blend all that well. But somebody else told me afterwards, like, oh, you, what did you use to apply it? And I told them that I used these sponges that were recommended. And she said it would be good to use a makeup brush because that works better. So I'll try that next time if there is a next time. This year I was Pearl for Halloween and I'm already white. So Yeah. I was going to say out out of the ones who are not regular human skin colors, I think because amethyst is a fairly pale purple and that's probably closer to your skin color than some of the darker ones. So that might be why it blended a bit better. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it meant when it peeks, if it peeks through, it wouldn't be so obvious. Whereas if you did the dark burgundy for Garnet and (laughs) every time your pale skin peeks through, it would contrast more. Yeah, I didn't do any paint for my Garnet costume. 
it's just a little too uncomfortably close to possibly being interpreted as blackface, and I'm not doing that. So Yeah, no, that's reasonable. She's like a fuchsia color in most lights, especially after her reformation. She's like she's very bright pink in some lights. Her skin yes. is actually brighter than it used to be. Yeah, I was noticing particular this time, maybe because we had so many close-ups on that, mm-hmm. her pre-reformation skin tone is closer to dark human skin, whereas this has yes. definitely more sort of maroon, purpley, burgundy tone to it. Yeah, yeah that's definitely an obvious, like a, a pretty significant change between the two. Another thing that changed was her glass color changed. Like the hue to them looks more like it has a shine that vacillates between pink and blue. Mm, I noticed a bit of that, which is probably a little sapphire ruby wink to us. Yeah. There was some significant kind of bickering in fan spaces about whether the color, the primary color of Garnet's glasses, whether that indicates something about which one of them is more in control. And I'm like very against that because neither one of them is controlling the Garnet mecha. (laughs) You know, it's like... She's guarded. She's not being controlled by either of them. I mean, I'm sure sometimes there's some ruby coming out. There's some sapphire coming out, but, you know, it's not. And also hard to draw that from the glasses because also sometimes they just have them reflecting what she's near. Yeah, exactly. Or trying to, it has to be primarily one or the other color to get the light effect right. But yeah, strongly objected to that anytime I saw it would say, oh, you can tell that this is Sapphire talking because her glasses are almost entirely blue. I'm like, nope. She's just standing under the sky. Yeah, (laughs) she's outside. That's right. I think the first thing I noticed for her regeneration was the pointier shoulder pauldrons. Yeah, they're not big squares anymore. Pauldrons, not. (laughs) Yeah, they're both the same color and they're pointier and they're a little smaller. And her hair is smaller too. Her afro has slimmed down. That I didn't notice because it wasn't entirely consistent before. That's true. Yeah, it was definitely bigger before. I guess her bodysuit is slightly different too. It's divided straight down the middle rather than like one leg is one color kind of offset. I don't know. There's quite a few differences, but her gloves, I think, were, they used to be black and another burgundy. I think that's right. But I've drawn a lot of fan art, so I've had to pay a lot of attention to minute details. <laughs> I guess at the moment it's easy to see the contrast because she's still got her earlier form in the title sequence. Yep, that's right. Oh. Go check out our merch table. Should I show you my merch because it has garnet on it? Let's go. Let's garnet away. I have an adorable blanket in garnet colors. Oh, yes. Ooh, and- um, but on the other side, it's actually got, let me see if I can back up enough to show you this. On the other side, it's got a garnet illustration of her doing heart hands. Oh, can you see that? Yep. She's, yeah. I'm holding it over my own face, so I can't see. What- yeah. Well, I'm getting a very good view of it, of her doing the heart hand and smiling. Yeah. It's very kind of exuberant. Yeah. And her head looking particularly square this time. There she is. I love this. So I decided that I should show you this in this episode because it's doing the heart. Yep. And Perfect. It. So it's a very comfortable blanket sold at Cartoon Network store but i think they don't sell anymore and it goes all the way down so it's almost the same size as me so i could just like pretend to be her (laughs) easy cosplay just taking the garnet pit yeah these blankets are typically about five feet tall and so am i so (laughs) nice yeah so that's my merch and anyone who is watching the visual version of this will get to see a glorious picture of it and that's it. Yay. We don't have any food or any songs this time to talk about. No, it must have been tempting to do a Jamie's Love Song thing, but they didn't. Yeah. They did play like the Mr. Postman music behind him, but that was soundtrack. And probably better that they went with his purple prose and the imagined spot of him in his Shakespeare garb. Yeah, so no food going on, but I know that I have down here some factoids to share with you. I'm learning new things all the time! I probably naturally flowed into a couple of these, but let me check what I wrote down. So as usual, I tell you the storyboarders, Lamar Abrams and Helen Joe. Definitely caught that this time. Lamar is being a weirdo again. You know what? I didn't write this down, but I remember when this came out, he did one of his really weird episode promos where he had almost like a manga style version of Garnet receiving love letters from herself. (laughs) It's like, oh, Garnet is in love with Garnet. Will Garnet confess her love or something like that? And it's like, (laughs) 
got this ridiculous thing of Garnet kind of dressed like a Japanese boy would be dressed in high school, like a school uniform and stuff. And then in the background, dressed like a Japanese girl, being all like, <laughs> ah! <laughs> with her shades off, like all three eyes all lit up. Aww. <laughs> Like she's really hoping that herself falls in love with her. <laughs> it's a, re- it's really weird what he does with his promos. He's a yeah. strange man. That's fun that. though. Yeah, he's he's a trip. Let's see. The description was Stephen and Connie help Jamie the mailman with love. That's okay. Yeah. They don't reveal who he's in love with, so that's nice. Well, how awry that help goes. Yeah. Generally, you can assume hijinks will ensue, but here is an interesting factoid is this was something I picked up when I watched the DVD extras. They, on this episode, they said that they actually had to have Estelle come back and re-record some of the lines because she sounded too harsh when she was like telling Jamie off. (laughs) She was just like, I didn't mean to upset you. (laughs) They're like, have her come back and say it softer. (laughs) So what we saw was the gentle version. I know, right? Like they had her redo several of the lines to be gentler and more compassionate. So originally she just like sat down on the log and she's like, Jamie. And they had her redo it as Jamie. (laughs) So that's funny. Difficult line to tread, but they got there. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that they credited the person, the male person who delivered Stephen's mail instead of Jamie. I think they credited her. Do you want to know the character's name? Go on. Yeah, I didn't get to see the credits this time. The male character was was Barb, who was mentioned in Cheeseburger Backpack that uh, Jamie said, Barb yells at me when I don't get signatures. So that was Barb. Oh, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So, nice little callback. It's like more than 50 episodes later, but we finally meet Barb, who I guess is probably above Jamie in the chain of command. So Of two, uh, Barb, probably. Yeah, two people run that whole post office. Barb is voiced by Kate Flannery. Don't know Kate Flannery. I don't remember if I said back in Cheeseburger Backpack that Eugene Cordero is the voice of Jamie, but he definitely got more of an active role in this one. He got to say more than a few lines. <laughs> but, uh, so now you've met the person who yells at Jamie if he doesn't get signatures. That's obscure. And another really interesting piece of trivia about this episode was the whole Kansas thing that uh, Jamie said that he was making out where they make all the movies in can and there was actually a reason for that like we know that the steven universe universe is not quite our world but that's one of the significant differences and rebecca sugar said many like a couple of years at least several years after this episode was released she was like by the way the reason that they're making movies in kansas is kansas is like the version of hollywood kansas city is hollywood in this universe And she said they decided to do that because apparently Disney had a studio there back in the day, Laughagram. Is that what it was? Laughagram Studios. And it never took off. So she said in this universe, it's if Laughagram Studios Mm -hmm. took off and the whole hub of everything was in Kansas City instead. Nice. So that's really obscure and weird. She said that in California. She said in California, like doesn't have Hollywood. It's called Califarmland in (laughs) And it's just farm. Well, sometimes you're not subtle, Beck. <laughs> Pretty cool. And so obviously also this episode is the origin of my blog name. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. I saw you noticing that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's <laughs> about all I have in terms of uh, trivia, although it's more than some weeks. And we have we have we have no food, we have no music, we have all of the merch is done. I am out of love letters for this episode. Yeah, I think we are spent on episode <laughs> I changed the screen so I can't see what number it is, but this episode. <laughs> Fifty-six. I'm a little bit weird in that I prefer to call them sequentially from the beginning rather than this is season two, episode four or five. I don't know why I prefer to remember it that way. <laughs> But that's how I have it in my brain. So I guess probably just also because people argue about where the seasons actually start and end because of the the weird how things were aired and whether the Uncle Grandpa episode counts as an episode. (laughs) I mean, obviously it does, but does it? (laughs) Do we just pretend it doesn't exist even though lots of good food came from it? That three-pronged sub. I still think about that sub. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, nothing for this one. So we'll have to move on. So thank you for joining us for Love Letters and join us next time for 
reformed. <laughs> reformed. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs> right, bye now. You've been listening to Ivy and Daria on Not So Giant Women. You can find episodes of the show in video form by looking up Not So Giant Women on YouTube or in audio form at anchor.fm slash not so giant women or your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on Facebook. Audio production by Daria. Video production and music by Ivy. Daria can also be heard on Postploitation, the Ausploitation podcast. And Ivy at her Steven Universe fan blog at love-takes-work.tumblr.com. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and remains property of Cartoon Network. No infringement is intended.